you may know that my family and I are going to be departing Thomasville uh, the first week of November. Uh, the Lord has, has laid on us a call to a church, First Presbyterian Church in Augusta, Georgia. And so uh, we're not leaving yet, but this is going to be my last time preaching in, in both uh, services this morning. And so as Pastor Tim a couple weeks ago was talking to me about what to preach, he said, well, since it's your last time preaching, preach, preach on whatever you want to preach on. Now, for some people, they love that. Finally, there's some things I want to tell you guys. <laughs> some people love that. However, there are other people, and I would probably, I'm in this camp where I was like, great. 66 books, over 31,000 verses in the Bible. Where do I start? And let me tell you where I started. Right, here's, here's where I started. Is I had something in my mind that I was kind of mulling over, and I thought, eh, you know, I wasn't thrilled about it, but I was kind of moving in that direction. And so where I started is where I should start after nine years of marriage to the most amazing and beautiful wife in the world. I started with Kelly, and I said, Kelly, let me tell you what I'm thinking about preaching on. Here's what I have in mind. And she looked at me. I, no kidding. When she looked at me driving back from Tallahassee, she goes, really? That's it? And I went, okay. She said, what about Philippians 3? And I said, perfect. You're exactly right. Philippians 3. And the light bulb clicked and immediately went off. And I said, yes, that's it. This morning we're looking at, I want you to think about, there's two questions that we're going to ask. And there'll be one on the screen in a minute. But the first question I want you to ask this morning is, how is your resume? How is your resume this morning? Because I thought to myself, this is the last time that I'm going to have the opportunity to preach before you guys. We've had a lot of life happen here at FPC in the past four years. We have had lots of new to celebrate, new things to celebrate. A new denomination, a new senior pastor, new staff, new buildings, new worship service, new members, new signs. we got a new parking lot. All amazing and all wonderful and all good things. And yet one of the things that God has really been teaching me in my time here is that as great as all of those new things are, and as much as we have to celebrate, those things in and of themselves will never be enough. They will never add up. Because here's the thing is that no matter how great our resume is as a church, no matter how great your spiritual resume is as an individual, it will never be good enough. And if you think about it in terms of a resume, I think about it like that because what is a resume? It's your one-page attempt to show just how great you are, isn't it? Right? It's your one-page attempt to show why you're so amazing and then why whatever it is, position or job or board or service opportunity that you have, why you should get picked. Right? It's the way you show that you deserve that position that you deserve that job, that you deserve that title. And we all have resumes. We have physical resumes, but then we also have spiritual resumes. 
right? Because our physical resumes show that while we're great doctors and lawyers and bankers and teachers and engineers and students and college students and salespeople, we also have spiritual resumes. It's the list of things in our minds and in our heart that makes us okay with God. The list of things that makes us okay with ourselves. The list of things that makes us okay with other people. And oftentimes we try to include the things from our physical resumes on our spiritual resumes. And the passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul is making it very, very clear. That our spiritual resumes may be good, but they will never be good enough. But thanks be to God that we have Jesus. Who had the better resume. Who had the ultimate resume. Who had the best resume. And so this morning I ask you to ask yourself the question, where is your confidence? Where is my confidence this morning? Am I trusting in my spiritual resume? Or am I trusting in the ultimate spiritual resume? Jesus' resume. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians 3. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 11. Hear God's word this morning. Paul says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in death, and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this morning we pray that you would make your word alive to us, that Our confidence would be found in you and in you alone. Help us this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Paul is writing the letter of Philippians to the church in Philippi. And and while he's writing this letter, he's literally sitting in a prison cell. And if you look at the book of Philippians as a whole, it's only four Chapters And there's this overall theme of encouragement that Paul is encouraging the church in Philippi to live out their calling as Christians. And if you think about just even how he's writing this, it's absolutely remarkable. And you say, what's so remarkable about it? Well, just think about it. He's sitting in 
prison. Paul is literally sitting in a jail cell and he's reminding the Philippians, the the church, of their amazing new life. Their amazing new life in Christ. And he's encouraging them and he's bringing joy and bringing comfort and he's bringing peace. And you're sitting here going, holy cow. I don't like it when I have a bad day at work. And here you are encouraging this church to have joy and hope. And you're sitting in a jail cell. And we're going to find out why he can even convey that to them this morning. And so he's giving them a whole new way to look at life. And he's calling them to grow up in their faith, to grow in their love of God, to be encouraged by Philippians 2, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, the humility of Christ. And then we get to chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles, you can even find this. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Finally, finally. Now, just as a side note, now you understand where preachers get it. Chapter 3, Paul says, finally. Now, that's the beginning of chapter 3, and then there's still chapter 4. You understand that, right? It's good. You're going to catch up here in a minute and understand that at 9.45, when I say three more quick points, there'll be another 15, 20 minutes left to go this morning. But Paul says, finally, uh, Finally, brothers and sisters. And he begins to to deal with the problem that the church is facing in chapter 3. And the problem that they're facing is apparently there's some people in the church and some outsiders are influencing the people in the church. And these people who who are influencing them are Judaizers, right? They're these people that insisted upon the fact that in order to be Christian, you had to be circumcised. You think about circumcision in the Old Testament was the sign that you were a part of God's family, right? Uh, and so these people are coming along and they're saying, yeah, 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 believe in Jesus, that's all good, but you still have to be circumcised. They're insisting upon the physical outward expression of becoming a part of the covenant community of God. And so they're adding something to the gospel, right? Salvation by faith and by works, And Paul uses some pretty strong language in verse 2 against them. He calls them evil. He calls them dogs. He's very, very, very adamant about the fact that that is not the true gospel. But then he reminds the Philippians of who they are. Who they are in their new life in Christ. And if you look with me, verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. These three characteristics, right? Worship in and by the Spirit versus outward conformity to the law. No, 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 we worship by the Spirit. He's encouraging them. He's telling them, this is who you are. We worship by the Spirit, not by outward obedience. That we glory, number two, in Christ Jesus. That, that word glory, we boast in Jesus. And number three, we have no confidence in our flesh. No confidence in a righteousness that is based on your performance. We don't put confidence, Paul is saying, in our resume. Because your resume cannot, will not ever make you right with God. And so he makes that point that we, we worship differently because we worship in spirit. 
because we glory in Jesus and we have no confidence in and of ourselves. And then he makes his point and he elaborates on it in verses 4. And listen to what he says. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Did you hear what he's saying? He says, if anybody has a reason to be confident in who they are and confident in, in their resume and their pedigree, it's me. See, if you think you have a reason to be confident in your spiritual resume, Paul is saying, I've got you beat. Because if there was ever somebody who could take their resume up to God and say, oh, here's why you should love me. Oh, here's why you should have a relationship with me. Oh, put me at the top of the stack, God. It was Paul. And this is why. Look at what he says in verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day. It means he was a Jew by birth, not a convert from paganism. Of the people of Israel. He was born into God's chosen race. Of the tribe of Benjamin. He can trace his bloodline back to the tribe of Benjamin. Right? Benjamin's... Uh, was, was the only son of Jacob born in the promised land. He's saying, I'm ethnically pure. I've got the pedigree. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, he goes on to say. He spoke the language. Then he continues, he says, as to the law, a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees get a bad rap, right? Jesus is, holds nothing back from the Pharisees. And it's understandable, but at their core, they love the law. They were teachers of the law. They expounded upon the law. And Paul came from the top Jewish teacher of that day. His degree came from Gamaliel, who was this amazing Jewish rabbi. I mean, Paul had everything going for him. He had the right degree. He had the right pedigree. And then he keeps going. He goes, as for zeal, a persecutor of the church. See, zeal and a passion for God was an honorable quality. But one of the ways that you showed in the first century showed your passion for God was how you kept at bay other religions. And so it was sometimes measured by how you fought against other religions that, that opposed Judaism. And so he said, I was not only I had zeal, I had plenty of zeal. I was a persecutor of the church. And he continues as as to righteousness under the law, what does he say? Blameless. Blameless. And what he meant is that he had kept the external laws of God flawlessly. I obeyed God's law. And what it reminds you of that story from the Gospels, doesn't it, where Jesus talks to the rich young ruler. He says, what must I do to be saved? He says, well, obey the law. And he says, I've done all that. He said, well, then give everything you have to the poor. And it was a heart issue. And he couldn't do it, and he walked away sad. And what Paul is saying here is that externally, I was just like that guy. Matter of fact, I was better than that guy. I obeyed the external part of the law perfectly. God wanted pre-Christian Paul, right? He, he's saying that here. He's basically showing God would have wanted me because I was the best. It's, it's kind of like the, it's like the ultimate Georgia fan. I was going to use UNC, my last sermon. But our football team is just a disgrace. <laughs> Don't worry, basketball's coming. But it's like, the, but, but your dogs are doing good. It's the ultimate Georgia fan is what Paul is saying, right? You know, you probably know somebody like this. This is the one person who, 
who comes from a line of UGA grads, right? Every single person has always been, has always gone to Georgia. In fact, their great, 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 great grandfather was a founder, right? They wear red every day. They have an English bulldog. They know every coach. They know every player. They've never missed a game. They were married on the 50-yard line between the hedges, right? And they take every opportunity to remind you that they are a purist, that they are the ultimate Georgia Bulldog fan. And they have every reason to be confident. And he's a guy who comes around, maybe girl, who comes around, and you just start rolling your eyes at him, right? Like, oh, here comes Johnny. Get a life. But he, Paul is the ultimate. He's the ultimate Jew. He has every reason to boast in his pedigree, every reason to boast in his accomplishments, every reason to be confident that God would want him. And yet he makes it very clear that it, it was not enough. In fact, it was less than enough. Look at verse 7. Paul says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. You see, Paul looks at his list of accomplishments and he says, My pedigree, my family heritage, my education, my external obedience, everything I earned, everything I had, everything that I did for God to accept me, all that credit on my balance sheet, it's less than worthless. It's a debit. And not just a debit, Paul says, but it's rubbish. And the, rub the word rubbish here is a very, very PG word because the word rubbish, what Paul is saying is it's not just a debit, it's dung. Poop, number two. Like that's what Paul is saying that his works are like, dung. Every gain, everything I have to be proud of, every bit of confidence that I have in myself, in my ability to obey the law, worthless. Dung. Why? For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else, everything else. Garbage. Dung. That I might know Jesus. Friends, how is your resume this morning? Where, are, where is your confidence? What are you standing on this morning that makes you okay before God? And that makes you okay with yourself? And that makes you okay with others? Your family name? Your family pedigree? Family's important. But family's worthless. Maybe it's your bank account, how much you give. Giving's great. But giving's not ultimate. Maybe it's your job, your degree, your education, all great things. But they're not ultimate. Students, maybe it's your grades. 
your performance on the athletic field, who you're dating, who you sit with at the lunch table. Maybe it's your SAT score. Worthless. Where is your confidence? Is your confidence in yourself? Or is your confidence in Jesus? Have you come to a place in your life where you can say, like Paul, that everything else is worthless? Everything else is worthless compared to knowing Jesus. And not just knowing and having this Sunday school head knowledge about who Jesus is, but knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus, having a relationship with him. Because look at what he says in verse 9. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So what Paul is saying this morning is that my righteousness does not come from me. What makes me okay with God, what makes me okay with myself, what makes me okay with others is not me. It's not about you. It has to come from outside of you. It's not my obedience to the law. It's about Jesus' obedience to the law. It's the gospel. Right? It's that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. But the gospel is not that just that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It's more than that. That's one side of the coin. It's a two-sided coin. Right? That's good news that Jesus died for our sins. But the other side of that coin is that he gives us his perfect record. And so that we have a confidence, not in our own righteousness, but in his righteousness on our behalf. And so when you trust in Jesus, when you put your faith, Paul says, in Jesus, you, not only do you get freedom from your sins, but you get, you receive his perfect resume. Jesus' resume becomes your resume. And then we're set free from performance and guilt and fear, and shame, and condemnation. See, as a follower of Christ, it does not matter what you have done. It does not matter what you have not done this week. If, you, if you're here this morning, you have a relationship with Christ, it's not about you. It's about what Jesus has done on your behalf. That's freedom this morning. That's good news this morning. Because you stand, and God looks down at you, and he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus, his perfect record on your behalf. And I get it. It's crazy. It does not make sense because everything in life is merit-based. That's why Christianity is totally different from every other world religion, where you're earning your way to God. And Christianity goes, nope, couldn't do it. You couldn't earn your way to God. You couldn't climb that mountain. But God came off the mountain so that he could have a relationship with you. Friends, if there's any encouragement or prayer that I have for you personally and for this church is that First Presbyterian Church Thomasville would be known as a people who have their ultimate confidence 
and their ultimate identity found and rooted in Christ Jesus. That Christ's work on your behalf would become your one and only reason to boast. And that we, like Paul, that you, like Paul, may long, verse 10, and say that you may know him, that you may long to know him in the power of his resurrection. That you may share in his sufferings, that becoming like him in death and by all means possible, that our, my prayer is that your desire would be just like Paul's, that you may desire to obtain by whatever means the resurrection of the dead. You may persevere to the end. So that God can look on us one day, that God can look on you, that God can look on me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's not about you. He can say that because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. Because of Jesus. And that that would inspire you and that that would encourage you and that would give you the heart and the willingness and desire to persevere. So that you show up and you give not because of who your family is or because of who you think you are or who you want to be, but because of what Christ has done on your behalf. That the truth of the gospel would penetrate every fiber of your being and it would overflow and overfill out of your heart and overfill out of your mind, overfill out of your mouth into your hands and your feet in this community and in the world. And so my challenge to you this morning is take a hard look at your resume. Are you finding your life and your confidence in how great you are or how great Jesus is? And if it's in how great you are, then my encouragement to you this morning is spend some time in repentance. Run to the cross and be humbled. But also be renewed. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, DT, my resume stinks. My resume is bad and I know it's bad. You don't know what I've done. There's no way God could love me. There's no way God should forgive me. You're right. But it's not about you. It's about what Christ has done for you. And if that's you this morning, friends, my encouragement would be run to the cross. Be renewed. Receive Jesus' perfect resume. Embrace it and own it as your own. A prayer is that First Pres Thomasville would make much of Jesus, that you would be set free from your resume and that you would rest in his resume. So that like Paul says in Ephesians, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That he may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, that is our prayer this morning. Fill our hearts with your love, with your grace, with your truth, 
with your purpose. Give us a new identity this morning that we would rest in you and who you are. That we would not find hope or peace or comfort in anything but you, Jesus. I pray for this church, God, that you would make the gospel permeate every aspect of its mission, its vision, its people. That they would be known as a church who makes much of Jesus. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.